It's Monday, April 9th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 156 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is cellist, composer, vocalist, Teresa Wong. Let's have a listen. That's her performing a duo composition with the great Carla Kilstedt, both of them on uh, strings and vocals. Teresa Wong's on the show today, and it's a good one. Before we get into it, uh, I want to remind you that starting May 28th, May 28th, I'm starting the new series, 5049 at Arate. First show is my good friend Toby Driver. He's going to be presenting uh, a new set of, of his ballads material. So it'll be him with the group String Noise, which is uh, Pauline Kim Harris and Conrad Harris on violins, and I believe the great Brian Chase. Brian, who you know from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, as well as my bands, will be on drums. So they'll do a show. Toby and I will get to talking afterwards. It'll all be taped uh, for the podcast. After that, June 20th, Peter Evans, the great Peter Evans on trumpet, presenting a new ensemble, a trio with Maz Swift and Shana Dunkelman. They'll perform. Afterwards, Peter and I will get into it. July 31st, Zena Parkins, the great Zena Parkins. August 15th, Ben Goldberg, clarinet. Um, these shows are looking good, man. They're looking tough. I'm excited about it, and uh, there's a lot more coming after that. I'm, I'm excited about this. So this is happening at Arate in Brooklyn, 67 West Street. First show is May 28th. Go to the 5049 website. Right on the front page is all the info you need. And, um, yeah, I'm going to keep uh, bugging you guys about that. Okay, today on the show, Teresa Wong. Teresa Wong is a Bay Area, I think Berkeley-based cellist, composer. She's originally from Schenectady, New York, which is way upstate. Uh, you know, pretty much, I, I think you could say it's, it's pretty close to country living, more like suburban living, small town living, we'll call it that. She's been out in the Bay uh, for, for a good part of her life, for the last 10 years or so, uh, after studying at Mills College, really focusing on, on contemporary music and, and improvisation. She's worked a lot with Fred Frith, Ellen Fullman, uh, Carla Kilstedt, who you just heard. Uh, you know, she, I would say she's become a pretty prominent member of the, the Bay Area scene of, of improvisers. This conversation just took place uh, nine or 10 days ago. Teresa was in town doing a week-long residency at the Stone. She had time to uh, stop on by and do the talk. And it was fun. Um, I talked to her briefly in the past, uh, just, you know, and we'd met very briefly. But um, she's a really fun person, and this is a good talk. And uh, she's got this record. The music that I was playing up top um, is from a record that came out on Zodic a few years ago called The Unlearning. It's cello and violin being performed by Teresa and Carla Kilstedt, uh, both of whom sing on the record, and it's really beautiful. Uh, I like listening to it in the morning. Check out the record. It's good. If you want to find out more about Teresa Wong, go to TeresaWong.org. Uh, it's a good-looking website. You can find out more about her, her, her projects, her tour dates, and uh, everything else that she's up to. She's a good one, Teresa. TeresaWong.org. 
If you're enjoying this show, please rate, review, and subscribe to it in iTunes. That helps. Uh, and check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash 5049podcast. You can throw in a few bucks if uh, you're so inclined. And that's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Teresa Wong. That's always a thing in New York is like... The weekday. No, or just yeah, in general. There's, there's so stuff much stuff going on, yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe the weekend... So, wait, so the question is like, how do you get like a? Yeah, I don't do you know. The audience? I had even like a blurb in the Times this weekend. Uh huh. So that was great. It was like, check right. out these fourteen shows, you know. Right. But like, I don't know that. I mean, maybe people will come on the weekend I, because of that. But. I mean, I honestly have no idea, and I'm sort of at a place where like I'm, I've, I've like sla- I've, I'm really thinking about it slash like totally not thinking about it because yeah. I'm just like I don't know what to say yeah. because I don't think the things that have traditionally brought audiences like a blurb in the times mm-hmm. have the uh the influence that they once did mm-hmm. you know i think yeah, yeah. like a feature in the times certainly might but even then like i i helped a friend recently um get something on a piece of music online mm-hmm. so that it could be part of a preview in the times mm-hmm. so i was able to see how many people listened to it yeah it wasn't many yeah it wasn't many yeah like it really was sort of like eye-opening for me yeah um I don't know. I mean, is so, it? I, I assume it's the same thing in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very similar. But people just. So, I don't know. I mean, to me, I just keep on doing what I. Of course. Know, and then you know, you just see what happens. Right. 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 So I don't know. But it's like something I don't. I don't. I haven't like sat down and like strategize. Okay, what can I do? I think you, you know? drive, you'll drive yourself crazy doing that. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, there are people that do that professionally, like people, you mm-hmm. know, like firms that, and they, sure. and they understand things from a perspective that is like really kind of insidious. I think. Yeah. Like, and I don't, I don't even mean that like to be like insulting, but you know, I don't. Know. I, I I just mean that like the everything is like sort of like a shifting model right now. Like, if you would think right. like you're a musician, so you want to make good music, right? You know, you want you want to challenge yourself, create something that like has integrity, and then you want people to enjoy it and hopefully even like compensate you for it. Right. But that's not even like the goal anymore. Right. The goal right. is to just like shift attention to where people click like. So you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's kind of grim. So are you <laughs> are you from San Francisco? No, I mean yes and no. You, yeah. I grew up in um, Schenectady of really? all places. Yeah, <laughs> like near Albany. Yeah, really. Yeah, but un- only until I was ten. Uh-huh. Um, but it was it was like a really important part of my life. I mean, I, it was very memorable and yeah. I mean, know. winters up there are like real. Oh yeah, no, it was, it was like a great place to grow up. I loved How so? it. Just like you know, having four seasons, mm-hmm. having neighbors you played with you mm-hmm. know riding the bus to school um just it was just like really you know cozy home down like old-fashioned kind yeah, of yeah, life yeah. um and moving to california when i was 10 was kind of like huge culture shock in what way i was huge culture. your parents shock. are from china yeah my parents immigrated uh-huh. so they actually came to the states to go to college mm-hmm. well Sort of. My dad went first to Australia, and mm-hmm. then he went to grad school at RPI. My mom was at SUNY Albany. In Troy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they met sort of through, like, these Chinese cultural clubs uh-huh. um, in their colleges. Um, but going to, yeah, going to 
to the Bay Area was a culture shock in that um, even though there's like a lot more Asian culture there, which was actually one of the positive things, definitely. Well, I mean, you know, we got there and it's it's like the streets are all landscaped. Mm -hmm. Um, Every house has a fence around it. Where in the bay was this? It's the suburbs of the East Bay. So like... So like the town was Danville, which is near Walnut Creek. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's a very affluent town. Mm -hmm. And my parents wanted us to live there because the public schools were good. I mean, coming from upstate New York, where like we had really great public school, that was one of the better, you know, districts. And um, we weren't wealthy by any means you know right. we were like driving around in our station wagon right, right, grocery right, right. getter and like all the kids in my high school were driving like benzes and really Porsches. <laughs> i was just like this is really really weird. so anyways i was only 10 and um yeah it was just sort of you know like fast pace i mean everywhere you go you drive on the freeway to you know get to the grocery store yeah, yeah. on the freeway get right. off a couple yeah. exits and then like i don't know it was just it, it, like it felt much more materialistic and uh-huh. and and kind of slick and I don't know. Um, yeah, like I couldn't play on the grass. You know what I mean? Everything was because, landscaped right. and, and like trimmed. Like the bushes were mm-hmm. shaped. It mm-hmm. was just like where where are the trees? Like mm-hmm. where where's just like where's a meadow? <laughs> yeah. And as a kid, like I just loved being outside and playing outside, and um, so that felt strange. Like really, really kind of disconcerting as a ten-year-old. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I can relate to that. I mean, yeah. we I grew up in upstate New York and around. Oh yeah, where? Uh, Monroe. So it's like forty miles north of here. Okay. But it's, you know, you get out, you get out of Manhattan and pretty quickly things change. It's like a universal way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Totally. And yeah, I mean, you know, we ran wild and mm-hmm. everything was old and beat up and mm-hmm. and then we moved to like a suburb in Atlanta mm-hmm. and it was very similar to what you described. Yeah. Everything was sort of like closed off. Everything was new. Yeah. People, you know, seemed to notice things that I had never noticed before. Right. Like right. clothes that I was wearing. Totally. Yeah. 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 I, I'd go to school and people were just like talking about stuff. And I felt like as a 10 year old, they were already like 15 year, you know, like teenagers talking. Yeah. And I was just like this country bumpkin. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it, I mean, I would imagine that, I don't know, I, I think... I mean, did did you have other like first generation Chinese people in Schenectady that that you were around? Yeah, well, I mean, it was interesting because my parents had a group of um, you know Chinese friends, mm-hmm. and some of them were still in touch with. So it was it was really um, nice to feel like we definitely had that kind of small community. Mm. At the same time, like at school, I was definitely one of the few, you know. Asian kids mm-hmm. um, at a public school at a public school yeah. in upstate and you know I got teased and stuff but mm-hmm. it was just like part of growing up mm-hmm. you know it wasn't mm-hmm. like devastating but it also wasn't great you know <laughs> of course yeah so I, yeah I mean yeah. if it was I remember being teased growing up and I remember teasing people growing up mm-hmm. and not to like excuse bullying or yeah, yeah. you know like well, <laughs> early racism natural, but right? it's like people it. get teased for being heavy they get teased for being yeah. skinny they get yeah, teased for different. being asian they get teased for like whatever it Definitely. is they're, they're just gonna zero in on it yeah yeah, yeah. so it, well coming out to california even though there were more asians i yeah. was still just one of like a handful really in my that particular neighborhood did yeah. your parents want you to hang out with other asian kids i'm sure they did but they weren't like 
or heavy handed about it. it. No, no, right. no, no. They're, they're actually really open minded. Like, um, I'm really grateful cause they, they did, you know, like we grew up in very much like had Chinese values and uh, practices uh. at home, you know? Um, but at the same time, like they're, they, you know, they really wanted this American dream, which they created for themselves, which I'm really grateful sure. for. And they worked really hard for, they came from really hard conditions. And so they were very open-minded. They made friends also a lot with, you know, quote unquote, Caucasians. Mm, mm. <laughs> and also, um, we traveled quite a bit to Europe, um, because of my dad's work. He was a chemist. And so he also had a lot of like international friends and, you know, we were just like pretty, um, like a very open. That's a good way to grow up. Household. Yeah. I'm really, really I, 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 I sort of take, have taken that for granted. Like, even though I didn't try, I didn't go in, abroad until I was like 19 or 20, mm-hmm. but I f- like my mom, you know, had traveled her whole life from mm-hmm. childhood and always, you know, was always bringing international people through the house, cr- you know, cooking like bouillabaisse and like, mm-hmm. you know, crazy food. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and I, I didn't realize that other people didn't grow up like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, until like much later. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's easy that's to take such a huge, I think that's such a huge factor in, you know, so many of our problems today. Just the mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, we're fortunate like that we could have those experiences, but really it's sort of like this feeling that people don't have exposure to differences, you know, like people who live differently, who have different values. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like that's the root of so much um, hatred, so much violence, mm-hmm. so much. Um, well, I mean, you know, terror- more than ever, people can sort of choose and and reaffirm how they believe things exist, yeah. As opposed to just like seeing it, like yeah. you know, if yeah. you and I, I I I think about this sometimes. Like to me, like a, a really good example of that is like fish sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's used a lot in like Vietnamese food. It's used a lot in Thai food, mm-hmm. um, and it's just, it stinks like hell. Yeah, it does. but it makes everything taste better. <laughs> and like chefs in like you know fine dining restaurants use it all the fucking time. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like if you just like put this thing of fish sauce in front of you know mm-hmm. like some Trump supporter, it would be like that's fucking disgusting. You know, these people are disgusting. You know what I'm saying? Like you walk through Chinatown and like uh-huh. you smell these things. You see, you're like this is all crazy. Right. But in actuality. Right. You know, like right. if you separate that judgment from it, it's something that is fucking awesome and yeah. you've probably already enjoyed it without even knowing it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to like just sitting in your apartment and like or your bedroom, like looking at a computer and sort of reaffirming your dismissiveness. Right. I don't know. I don't even know if that makes sense, but Yeah. What people eat for breakfast is like the root of so many things, you know. What people eat for breakfast. Yeah. Asian people are so much better at eating breakfast than <laughs> than white people in America. Like rice with an egg and broth to me is like, that's it's a real breakfast. Yeah, yeah, it's heaven. It sets you up for the day. Yeah. What do you eat for breakfast? Well, I, I usually, every, I, today I had granola with oat milk and bananas. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. people can't see my face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I eat that every day just because it's quick <laughs> and like, I don't have to think about it. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't even enjoy it, but I don't hate it. Oh, you got to enjoy breakfast. Come do on. Do you cook breakfast every day? Oh my God, yeah. Really? I do. You don't have to like be somewhere in the morning? <laughs> I work at home. Yeah. I'm lucky to say, but yeah, I, I love breakfast. I pretty much almost every day, I like cut up some onions, mm. fry them in a cast iron, crack an egg over it, mm-hmm. and then put some fresh herbs on it, make some toast, 
Acme Bakery, in, my favorite in Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then eat that with ketchup and sometimes natto. <laughs> really? <laughs> this is like <laughs> natto and ketchup. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, but that's like my power breakfast. Yeah, but wait, 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 there was no no rice, no rice, or no no vegetable other than the onion. Yeah, onion and herbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that comes for lunch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I used to really care about food. I don't care about it at all anymore. Really? At all. Like, I eat really? healthy. Really? Yeah, but in terms of, like, cooking and... Like, what do you go- think changed that? Work. I mean, I work I know food. you worked, yeah. I continue but you to. still do? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and I just, I, you know... Really? Don't give a fuck. I really don't like you don't take the joy or I mean, I, I mean, I like the way things taste, you know, and on a regular basis, I just yeah. had this conversation with Zorn the other day. We went out to lunch, had this incredible lunch. And I was like, you know, I eat really well. I do eat well mm-hmm. on a regular basis. I mm-hmm. eat like food that people would be envious of. Mm-hmm. Same time. I just don't care at all. I could see like where you're working in it yeah. every single day. It's, and there's a lot of like attitude yeah. in it that I just yeah, yeah. really don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could, I could totally see that. You know what I mean? It's where like you, if you were, where do you it, work now? Uh, someplace okay. like if you yes. were yeah. <laughs> if you were you know like if you think about like all the worst parts of like making music mm-hmm. you know having to like you know like pester people with an email and organize rehearsals and then you know mm-hmm. deal with like the social anxiety like yeah. around a concert and all that fucking yeah. shit you know it's like it's all that same stuff in yeah, the food world no I'm I mean I feel like the restaurant business must be so it's horrible hard. it's so hard it's the I dumbest ne- I yeah. almost never go out to eat because like I know there's so much like, not that I never go out. Uh-huh. Don't, don't give me that. Right, right. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. I, I no, it's more. It's out. more like you know. I know there's so much behind the scenes that goes on, and and even just like, can you imagine trying to cook one of twenty items on a menu at this you know drop of a hat? And like, right. I feel like that whole process, when you think about, um, you know, preparation and and quality and just like the consciousness put into cooking yeah. is is pretty weird yeah. i mean it's you know like the restaurant business really is and this is something like i'm really becoming more aware of like all over you know in everything it's it's like a really perfect example of how much smoke and mirrors there is everywhere and in a really bad way and how much mm-hmm. racism there is everywhere because if you go to any restaurant mm-hmm. go to any restaurant you sit down you enjoy yourself and i'm talking about real restaurants i'm not talking about like you know little bullshit places mm-hmm. i'm talking about like real places mm-hmm. You know, you'll have some like culturally literate, you know, Caucasian person waiting on you who can like, you know, talk to you about like mm-hmm. the Phantom Thread or mm-hmm. like whatever's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. and, you know, we'll make a funny joke about Trump or whatever, you know, have this like nice time. If you just go through the door that leads to the kitchen, the dish pit, yeah, it's all illegal immigrants, yeah, you know, primarily from Mexico, yeah, uh, yeah, who are like running the show, right. So right. just like think about that for a I second. Know, I know, I know. It's so as a, blatantly as a, a represent a metaphor representation. Yeah, I mean, it's not that. So I mean, much. restaurant owners, you know, aren't as big uh, creeps as like people that don't like Nike plants. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's not like the most unfair comparison either. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway. No, I can see that being in that atmosphere can. I mean, totally change your yeah I don't, relationship. I don't. I restaurants like I just I, I don't I don't care. Like if I go to a place and someone's telling me about like where they sourced the sorrel or whatever, I'm just like I don't give a fuck. Really don't. <laughs> <laughs> so wait. So but you have siblings? Yeah, I have an older brother and an older sister. Do they play instruments too? They did. Um, uh-huh. they, we grew up. We all played piano, violin, and cello. No. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um. 
let's see. Well, we all started with piano, and then my brother went on to play percussion. So he played um, like in marching band, but he also played marimba. Oh wow! And like, he never had like a trap set, but he had a drum pad and he played timpani. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my sister then took clarinet and then subsequently sax. Oh wow! Yeah, but and, they both stopped after. This, yeah. Like, teenage years or yeah like when they went to college yeah um, but i'm happy to say my nieces now and my nephews are i have a bass clarinetist really a cellist a violinist how old is the bass clarinetist pianist. she's 12 that's yeah. a big instrument for 12 oh it's they don't, awesome yeah. yeah no she started with clarinet and just like quickly switched to bass clarinet and she just had this like she made it to all state band mm-hmm. and we just went to the concert she's like really into it and it's so fun to see yeah yeah yeah. yeah. bass clarinet is such a better instrument than the clarinet (laughs) seriously (laughs) i don't know why like um but but how old are you when you started playing cello i was 10 Uh yeah so i i started piano pretty early like five and that that was actually my main instrument growing up and then i just took cello with like in public school yeah um just because yeah (laughs) And yeah, I was like super involved with music my whole you, childhood. Um, I feel like for a lot of kids, like who take lessons, you know, whether it's piano or like, they don't, they're not actually like enjoying or interacting with music. They're just learning uh-huh. a technique and like yeah. a consistency to, yeah. you know, physical motion. Yeah. Do you remember like when you first started like oh, yeah. feeling the music oh, aspect? No, of- I, it was like, I couldn't wait to start. Yeah. I mean, I totally loved music from mm. the very beginning of my memory. Mm. And my mom even said, like, you were just, like, jumping, chomping at the bit, like, with your older siblings Did they playing. listen to music around the house? You know, they did. I mean, you know, like, we had a bunch of classical records. Yeah. We still have them at my parents, like, great men of music. Really? You know, great I never never music. thought about that yeah. until now. Great right? men great of music. Great men of music. Yes. But I loved listening to, like... Oh my gosh, sitting on the sofa living room. I was like five or so <clears throat> listening to violent Bach violin partitas and mm-hmm. I would just go nuts. Like yeah. flip out. So beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so I know I from the beginning had this like obsession with music and yeah. and love. I just like wanted to play. Wanted to play. <laughs> Were you able to go hear live music and see it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, well, it was kind of funny. Like, one of my earliest memories was hearing Victor Borga. You know, who <laughs> would like really? go to hear Victor Borga at the <laughs> Proctor Theater in Albany. Like, my parents loved him. Yeah. And, you know, as a kid, you're just like, oh, wow, this is great. You know, this is really funny. Right. And uh, he, he's an amazing musician, too. Uh-huh. So um, that's sort of one of my early memories. I mean, we didn't go out that much. They, you know, we didn't have like, the means to go out to a lot of concerts right but um you know they had like pop music like the beatles and barbara streisand records oh. and you know like simon and garfunkel at home and uh-huh. some obscure chinese records that my parents also did, liked did you, know? you listen to those yeah oh yeah yeah like chinese pop it's just <laughs> weird <laughs> it's weird there was i remember one day like 10 or 15 years ago, I was walking like somewhere in the East Village and I just found this box of like old, crazy, like communist Chinese records. Yeah. I took a ton of them home. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, I was like, this music was definitely made by like a machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like someone like, like under like an oppressive government, perhaps. Yeah. It's so, it was so weird. Yeah. But when you listen to like classical Chinese instruments like the Erhu or mm-hmm. like the Pipa, like these mm-hmm. are like some of the most beautiful sounds possible. Yeah. 
Although, no, you know, I say that with like a little hesitation because I feel like uh, I don't know specifically like the history of it, but I feel like a lot of Chinese music pretty early on became Westernized too much, and and huh. what I'm talking about is like particularly tunings and scales. Right. So, for example, like I was in Japan.、Um, Because my partner had a fellowship there, and we got to like hear the show, which is you know this reed organ, mouth organ、mm-hmm. tuned in just fifths, so like equal,、uh, not equal tempered fifths, and it's just like so stunning to listen to this, you know,、um, harmony. And as because they're stacked fifths,、mm-hmm. they also then start to like sh- beat and shimmer because yeah, of the、yeah. way that they don't tune up. Um, in this really cool way, and then you think about the sheng, which is like the equivalent instrument in Chinese music. It's, it's a wind instrument. Yeah, it's a similar thing. It's、uh-huh. like a it's like a mouth organ with a bunch of you know, and it's like metal tines. Okay, and it's a, a bunch of pipes sticking out, and it's tuned like an equal temperament, and like that instrument just does not sound interesting at all to me. Huh? Yeah, and because it's it lacks that kind of push and pull. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And a lot of I don't know I. I mean, one instrument I love is the guqin.、Mm-hmm. Um, so that again is using like this tuning system that is based on natural harmonics,、mm-hmm. and the way that's played, I just I just so there's something in there I really really can resonate with,、mm-hmm. and it really reminds me of the blues actually. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. I mean, the whole like. I mean, it's push and pull. Yeah, you know, like like you know, when you talk about like a drummer, you know, who plays, you know, just behind the beat. It's like, yeah,、mm-hmm. he's like, it's feel and it's it's swing and it's you know, it's it's letting the music sort of like vibrate in a more natural way. You know, yeah. Like, I mean, do you ever watch like these? I mean, I don't know why you would. I do, but like these videos of、uh, North Korean children in Pyongyang presenting concerts. No. <laughs> okay. It's like <laughs> the exact opposite of like what you want music to be, and、uh-huh. it, you know, it's just everything is like. Yeah. You know, and like you know that like if they fuck up a little bit, like they're gonna get like you know, killed or whatever.、Yeah. But like,、yeah. it's you know, it's the exact opposite of hearing like John Lee Hooker play you mm-hmm. know guitar. Or something. Mm-hmm. But do you? I mean, in the West, like with classical music, especially for kids, you know, quite frequently the way technique and and listening is、mm-hmm. taught is to、mm-hmm. be really you know like metronomic and. To you know, you know, really to not have a lot of variation in the way you play notes and、mm-hmm. put notes together.、Mm-hmm. Did you find that growing up? No, you know, it was so cool. So just like last year, I, I've only gone back to Schenectady a couple times since、mm-hmm. we moved. I mean, this is thirty years ago. So just last year, I went back and、um, I called up my old piano teacher. They're still alive. Yes. Yeah. At least I hope so, because I haven't been in touch with her in the last few months. But she's in her nineties. Wow.、Um, wonderful woman named、uh, Charlotte de Bloy.、Mm-hmm. She was German, or she is German. And I mean, I I just loved her as a teacher, and she was like my second mom,、mm-hmm. you know. And it was so amazing because you know I called her up and I kind of surprised her and I said, "Can I swing by?" You she、know? remembered you like、oh, right、yeah. away. Oh yeah, yeah.、Hmm. And she was like, "Yes, please," you know. And、um, and so、um, my partner Ellen and I dropped in, 
And I just, you know, I have such good memories. Like her studio, she lives in a regular, like, you know, two-story house in Uh the neighborhood. And she had this studio, which was like, um, uh, you know, like cathedral ceiling and windows out to the backyard and three pianos. So there was like an upright for the student. Uh There was a second upright for her to teach on. And then there was a grand piano that you played on to prepare for your concert. Yeah. And it was like my early experience of like, you know, in a way like being an artist, like this was the world you entered. Uh Everything was dedicated to music. I mean, I remember every like mechanical pencil, the red pencil, the lamp, you know, the working lamp. Yeah. It, it, It wasn't like, you know, pretty i mean i mean it was but it was like a workshop you know you went yeah, in. it yeah. was like about it was about working and it was so funny because here i am i go in and i've you know been making music uh for more than 10 years now and i haven't seen her in many years and she and i walk in and she just immediately starts teaching me like like no time had passed and i was still like what do you, what do you mean she was like so she just like sit down Teresa, and then she and, like, you know, I just, like, started playing something with her. Like, we, you know, sight-read a Bach convention mm-hmm. together or something. And then she was she would just stop and be like, and what's the difference when you do it like this? <laughs> and then she would play the phrase, or like this. And mm-hmm. you see when it goes to the tone there or there. Mm-hmm. And then she would just play, like, a chord over and over and be like, you listen, can you hear the resonance? Can you hear the difference of the resonance? And and my partner was like, this makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, this was what you were getting. And it was not, I mean, she was a very meticulous teacher. Sure. And like, you know, really on top of like technique and scales and uh-huh. everything. But it was really like about the, the, the tone and the, the inner, you know, workings of making music. Yeah. Which yeah. I didn't even think about when I was growing up. I was just like. This is fun. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, just producing sound yeah. and with yeah. other people, it's great. Yeah, yeah, huh? But I you, think that was a really important part of you know my learning. You spent the whole yeah. afternoon with her, or it was just like a when I visited. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a couple hours. It was it was kind of bittersweet. She really didn't want us to leave. Yeah, <laughs> you know, she's living yeah. by herself. Yeah. Did you listen to pop or rock music contemporary to your time? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, pour some sugar on me or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, well, it was funny. So, like, when I was, you know, got to be a teenager, um, I had older siblings, so, you know, they had their favorite mm. bands and stuff. I mean, I loved um, Queen growing up. Queen's the best. Because, you know, it was so funny. It was like, this is kind of, it's really like classical music. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Freddie I, Mercury was an absolute yeah, virtuoso. It was like, okay, this is really well sculpted and orchestrated and, like, I it's complex and i loved listening to that i remember that like very much as a 10 year old yeah and then me too uh, i yeah. love queen and it, it feels very magical it feels like like another world you yeah know? yeah yeah and then like as a teenager um you know my sister was into like madonna or uh-huh. gloria estefan or uh-huh. whitney houston i wasn't so much like i guess i i don't i didn't listen to that much pop then I listened to a lot of classical and I have like a very distinct memory of like being on swim team and going to a swim meet. I was like 12 or so. And I was like listening to Jean-Pierre Rompel play flute, you know, uh-huh. like box something. And, um, in my Walkman and like my friend was like, Hey, Trisa, what are you listening to? And I was just like, just like gave her my headphones. 
she just like made this sour face like yeah. you're such a freak you know but you know and I, I was actually where the fuck was it? we were somewhere the other day and that um whitney houston song i want to dance with somebody was playing mm-hmm. and i mean you know it's like objectively a good song it, mm-hmm. it achieves what pop music is supposed to achieve but i was listening to it and i was like i don't think there's a single like aside from her voice like actual instrument on this like this is all like keyboards and like you all think so? i'm pretty sure like it's definitely not a real drummer it's definitely not real horns huh and like the music you know like like madonna again you know who like, but Winnie Houston was amazing. Yeah, totally. But I think there's something to be said for like, and like, this isn't like grumpy old man stuff, but like when I hear, frequently when I hear a track, like in the back of a cab is where I hear a lot of, or like an mm-hmm. Uber is where I hear a lot of contemporary pop music. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't appeal to me at oh, all. Oh, now it's, it's even worse. It's I mean, really it bad. makes the stuff from the 80s like, sound good. so good. <laughs> but like I'm the sorry. fact that you, you're not hearing people actually play their instruments with technique and skill is like immediately to me, like, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, li- I like electronic music. Yeah. You know, but yeah, even yeah. that, you can hear the difference between like Pierre Schaefer and, yeah. you know, whatever Drake track is on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just in terms of like how the, they're sculpting the sound and pushing yeah, yeah, it yeah. and I, I don't know if i was yeah i don't i remember specifically liking queen mm-hmm. and liking stuff where i could hear people like executing on their instruments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah 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 did you go to college for music no so i went to college and i studied i did take piano the first year uh-huh. so i was like taking private where'd you go i went to stanford oh um, which My wife was, went to UC Berkeley. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was okay. It was really weird and interesting because I spent so much time with classical music growing up. You mm-hmm. know, I was like doing master classes and competitions mm-hmm. and orchestra, and it was like everything, right? And then I was like, well, I want to explore other things. You know, maybe I want to be a biologist or a psychologist or I don't know. Who knows? Let's yeah. just see. I don't. I need to like not do music all the time. And um, so I got into Oberlin and Stanford. It was like one of the you know, top choices to the conservatory actually mm-hmm. in Oberlin. But um, I was surprised I got into Stanford. So I was like, oh, you know, I can't pass this you know, opportunity up. Yeah. And of course, it's also like the dream of my parents. I mean, sure. You know, it was like, first gen- this yeah. is like first generation. Yep. This is awesome. Like, you know, and my brother had gone there. So I was like, okay. So I went there and I took piano. Uh, the first year, but just kind of took a lot of general courses. Mm -hmm. And um, so one of the courses I took, I had, I had been introduced to tall ship sailing when I was in high school. Uh There was like this weird program that sailing. Yeah. Yeah. So for kids, like you could go on a week on this old fashioned sailing boat and called the Californian. And it's like an educational tall ship. They sail all, all along the California coast. Whoa. And I was 17 and um, spent a week at sea. Why? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, and my mom was like, hey, there's this, you know, program. You want to check it out? And I was like, sure. And I thought I'd be scared, you know, at sea and, and like, you, you can't see land, you know, most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I totally fell in love with it. I got bit by the bug. You yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. like the sailing bug. And... After you do that program, you can like go back and volunteer on the boat anytime you want as a deckhand. So my best friend and I, who also did it, 
we would just like go back every chance we could like spring break we would like drive to LA hop on the boat and just work on a week for a week yeah you know or catch it while it was in northern california and like sail on and go know. up and down the coast yeah and it was amazing i mean there's so many it was just so powerful like you know you're there with a bunch of teenagers and like nobody gives a shit about like what you're wearing or right. what your hair looks like because like your life depends on each other you know how you, big was the ship like 120 feet small relatively yeah i mean yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. but it wasn't like you know yeah it was, yeah it was yeah you were close to each other yeah yeah no definitely and there was about six or seven crew members and like 15 students living on yeah but like a two-masted schooner and you know everything's done by hand i mean there's a motor but you only use it if you really need to so Uh you're like hauling lines basically and we're climbing up the mast to like furl the sails or you know it it was amazing and and you're on watch like 24 hours so sometimes you know you wake up at midnight and you do like the 12 to 4 watch you're just standing you know, at the bow, like looking out, looking out, making sure that there's nothing coming. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was like as a, as a, as a young teenager, it's just like, it was mind blowing. I mean, yeah, for so many reasons, totally. like you're, you're working with other people, you know, you depend on each other for your well being. you're cooperating. And then just the sheer, like the sheer, like magnificence of being out in the open sea because first of all you know you you see like bazillions of stars yeah bazillions and bazillions of shooting stars i mean it's really? just like whoa okay you're just like i'm yeah, there's nothing to obstruct from seeing them yeah right and then at night once we had like um you know bioluminescence it's it's just like this the water glows when it's um, agitated because of yeah. particular algae we had like dolphins swimming in our wake it's like out of a dream and they were like glowing in the dark because they were like agitating the algae yeah and you're just like what like wait who programmed this it's you know so you're like amazing. this is what whose installation is this yeah, 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 <laughs> this yeah, is yeah, like yeah. really brilliant <laughs> well, do you remember were you dream when you would go to sleep at night like mm. was it a restful sleep and did you oh, have yeah. like crazy dreams I didn't remember my dreams, but like you're so tired. I mean, you're outside the whole day in the wind and the yeah. sun, and then you're working, and um, you know you're taking a lot of energy just to like maintain your body. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we would, and we're sleeping in like hammocks or you know bunks in the bow, and that sounds so good. Slept like super well. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, it was it was really incredible. So to make a long story short, uh-huh. um, so I got really into sailing. And so when I was a freshman, I took this course in the product design p- um, department on building um, like model boats. And it was just like this fun elective. But basically, it was like an introduction to design because we would, um, you know, draw up designs. So you learned like some CAD. And then we got to manufacture everything ourselves. So we like did laser cutting for making like the hull. And then we learned how to pour metal to make the ballast. You know, you, we sewed the sails. Mm-hmm. We did um, like wood planking for the whole the the hull of the boat. And um, you know, it's kind of basic engineering skills. And we made these little working you know model boats. And I loved. I just fell in love with design. Yeah. Sort of like this is super creative, but it's hands on. All the kids were really crazy, you know, like wacky, yeah, fun, the, yeah, you know. And then I would like go practice piano and like 
the music department just seems so boring. <laughs> like everyone's just in there, like pounding totally. the Rachmaninoff yeah, away, yeah, yeah. and like you're like, hey, I could be yeah. out at sea with yeah. lunatics, right? Like making crazy shit in this shit. tiny room, <laughs> beating myself up for the way I play. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a no brainer. So that was my introduction to design, and you know, I was sort of like with also with my upbringing of you know having like immigrant parents. It was it was it it was hard to do something that wasn't quote unquote practical right and and all of that so that was a big factor in my decision and in just like the world of art being an artist being a, just a musician was just so it wasn't it really wasn't like you know available right in a way was, yeah i mean it's you know in it that, took me a long time to come to that yeah it's it's seen more as an elective activity exactly. or something that contributes to the whole of you. Exactly. But it's not, but not something you do seriously. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like my wife, you know, her parents are from Korea. Mm-hmm. Her dad's from North Korea. Um, she became an architect because the things that she wanted to do, which were more, you know, uh, purely artistic, mm-hmm. they said, no, mm-hmm. the most creative thing we'll allow you to do is architecture. You yeah. want to be an artist, you'll become yeah. an architect. Yeah. And that was literally what set her on course for exactly. what she does for a living. Exactly. And it took me so long to come to that. And I worked as a designer for many years. I also, like... What kind some, of design? Well, um, so... I, <laughs> I worked as a product designer, so I was, like, at in Silicon Valley designing, like, computer chassis really? for SGI for, like, a summer internship. And then... Um, Fortunately, and then I also did graphic design, so I like did some of that for a startup in San Francisco and went back to and then I was studied abroad in Austria, so I was there for two years, studied graphic Vienna. design. One year Salzburg, one year in Vienna. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I applied for this fellowship in Treviso, Italy, mm-hmm. where they take like students to do like a year long um thing in they have everything from like video to graphic design to product design. So I did design there. We were that was like amazing because I'm going from like designing handheld personal recorders, you know, in like the Silicon Valley product world to like the Italian product world, which is like, oh, this is like so sensual yeah. and it's like about the enjoyment of an object and about, you know, a lamp being like a work of art or yeah. you know, furniture being a oh, work so of good. art. Yeah. And it was like so awesome to experience that. And um, so we got to design things that were actually made. They were, you know, commercial. And uh, also, like, we designed the in, the installation for a Renaissance art, you know, exhibit. And I was just, like, setting up and designing this table where there was, like, this, you know, amazing old jewelry from the Renaissance era. Uh-huh. And all these, like, there was, like, a Montaigne, like, being shipped in. And, you know, these amazing works of art just, like coming in crates right so there was like this whole other world but were you maintaining a musical practice this whole time no i actually yes and no i i really just stopped after my yeah. first year I, of college i stopped no playing. cello no piano no i mean like one year in vienna i someone lent me a cello and i joined this amateur orchestra for fun uh-huh which was actually amazing, I have to say, because we ended up giving a concert of Mozart's Requiem in the Musikverein. Oh, wow. It was just like, what? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, I think Alfred Brendel was like rehearsing one day in there, and I was like peeking through the door. And yeah, just to play in that space. It was yeah, with, yeah, with yeah, like yeah. Viennese, 
amateur musicians. You know, it's sure, not sure. bad. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, Vienna is a good place yeah. for uh, classical music. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I really stopped, and um, it well, it was weird. You know, I felt like this really big identity crisis when you stopped. Yeah, there was like a hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's. I mean, it sounds like and. and correct me if i'm wrong like up until that point you hadn't even been thinking about making music of your own yeah i didn't yeah no i mean i composed a little as a kid I was yeah like, i composed really cheesy you know piano solos and stuff and i love transcribing pop music and mm-hmm. like, you know doing stuff but i never yeah i never really thought of myself as a composer sure sure but even like just sitting down with an instrument as like an improviser and just playing something no. spontaneously that feels good to play no yeah yeah Okay, so how did you find your way back to... To music? Yeah. Yeah, so I was living in Italy, and um, so in this place I worked, Fabrica, there was a music department, too. Mm. So, you know, and and it was a really... That was like a pivotal moment, because I was living, and I moved to Venice, because Treviso was, like, really not my place. Really? <laughs> it's really boring. Yeah. Um, and I had a friend who would go to this venue that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore called Fundamenta Nuova. And it's a little theater that brought in like a lot of improvisers. And so I would start going to shows there. I heard like Keith and Julie Tippetts. Oh, wow. And then Conk Pack, you know, uh-huh. uh, Roger Turner and Tim Hodgkinson. And um, and then Hamid Drake and Asif Sahir. That was like one of the most mind-blowing concerts that really like sparked you know something yeah when, where i was when, like oh my gosh yeah. like when he i think i need to do this yeah you know <laughs> yeah, totally totally he has that influence on people yeah 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 so that so like i started getting exposed to like improvised music there and then at fabrica they brought in a lot of guest artists and one day they were like the phone rang in the design department i picked it up and it was like the music department they were like hey alexander balanescu's here anyone want to take a workshop and i was like Oh, who's that? <laughs> um, sure, I'll I'll drop by. And yeah, so like yeah, yeah. I just like like left my desk. <laughs> I like, walked into the music department and he was giving a workshop on improvisation. Oh wow. And I was like, hey, you know, I want to do this. And I just and there was a piano there, so I I remember that was like one of the first times I improvised mm-hmm. out of nowhere and I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. I dig this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then subsequently like Koichi Makigami came. Oh, he's, I mean, yeah, total and, master. And he was, like, really inspirational. And then there were a bunch of students there. Yeah. Also, like, as, you know, year-long or month-long fellows. And and then, you know, they we started, like, hanging out. And then one of them was uh, writing dance music. Um, and since he knew I played cello, he's like, oh, do you mind, like, laying down some tracks for me? Oh, wow. And then I said, sure. Um, I just need to, like, find a cello. So, like, the sad thing was, like, well, fortunately, I was able to, like, get this Yamaha electric cello, right? Like, fortunately, unfortunately. Right. Like, really bad. But it allowed me to just, like, start doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, subsequently, I toured with the dance company. Really? Yeah, like, just to perform live yeah. in a piece. And that was sort of, like, one of my first gigs. But it was, it was super fun. That sounds like a great gig. Yeah. I mean... Yeah working with dancers yeah going on tour like yeah. this all sounds awesome yeah it was, it was super fun <clears throat> so I, I got exposed to like experimental music yeah and it, and it clicked for me because i was like oh my gosh this is like design 
people are being creative and uh-huh. they're like being you know putting concepts together but they're working with sound mm-hmm. and like that's sort of my first love and i you know like being creative so yeah yeah i was just like okay things started to click yeah 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 and did you you never lived here in new york no i i contemplated it yeah yeah so when i came back from italy i i went back to the bay I went back to the Bay, but I thought about moving to New York because I had been exposed to a lot of New York artists. Yeah, I mean, once yeah. you take an interest in improvised music, mm-hmm. and experimental music, and, you know, New York can be a very appealing place yeah. because of just the number of people that yeah. are here doing that. Yeah. And, and what, uh, you you wanted to be near your family or was there well, something in San Francisco? No, I mean, I, I like hung out here for months with a friend just to see if I would, you know, like it. And... I'm not like a big city person. Yeah. Like at heart, I love coming to New York. I yeah. really absolutely love it and um, feel it's sort of like a very important home for me. But uh-huh. yeah, I just felt I needed like kind of more quiet. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know how to get back into music and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I'd heard Fred Frith perform in Venice and like I'd read the program notes that he taught at Mills College. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that's kind of near where my parents live. Right. So after a year of like flip flopping around and, you know, casting about, um, I decided to like apply to go there. You for, went to Mills? Yeah. Okay. So I went there. And you studied with Fred? Yeah. Is, I've never played in San Francisco. I've only ever you been there to. once. Yeah, I want you, to, yeah, but everyone I talked to from San Francisco is like, yeah, there's nowhere to play anymore. <laughs> no, it's not true. Yeah. It's not true. But how much, like, it seems like all, I mean, and granted, this probably says more about my perception than than reality, but <clears throat> it seems like a lot of the experimental and imp- improvised music in the Bay is, like, very closely related in and around Mills. Mills. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people, like, kind of gripe about the fact that it's, like, a little you know island of yeah <laughs> you know a click um yes a lot of it is is around mills and the community and there's just a shared aesthetic there's a shared you know world um but it's it's not exclusively right that way. Yeah. right it was mills um when you got there was it like old shangri-la in oakland of people playing what do you mean I, it, it seems like from what I've heard from pe- people I've talked to who went to Mills, that like it feels very closed off from the area around it. Like someone t- t- told me, like, "Yeah, you hear bullets whizzing by." Oh but yeah, then you go yeah. In it's in a, it's in East Oakland. It's in a horrible neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean that's but that's also kind of this like sad reality about a lot of the Bay Area. I mean, there are bullets whizzing by in a lot of places, right? You know, and it it's just like two realities you know right next to each other like that yeah but yeah it's true yeah. huh and you did a master's program there yeah and what was that time period like that was amazing um it was sort of one of the hardest periods of my life you know making that transition from like being a designer and having actual jobs and <laughs> yeah money and you know and i also worked with an architect which is kind of funny but um yeah it it was really great i'm really happy that i did that and i immediately just started playing with people in the bay area scene <laughs> playing gigs yeah, yeah yeah and seeing the reality of like making 10 bucks on a gig yeah, yeah 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 but you know the reality of like people doing stuff they absolutely loved and believed in and did with their hearts and 
shared, you know, with a community. Mm-hmm. And that was really special, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just this whole other side that I never gotten exposure to. Yeah. You know, just not institutionalized and, you know, do it yourself. <laughs> sure. And um and then going to Mills, just having exposure to, you know, I studied with Fred and Annie Gosfield had also come there. She was there while she you were was there. there the, well, it was funny because when I was trying to decide, I met her and she was like, yeah, you should come here and study with Joan John Renaud and Fred, mm-hmm. which I did. So like Joan was my cello teacher and then Annie was there. I think this, I can't remember the second, yeah, the second year that mm-hmm. I was there. Um, Joelle Leandre was there oh, wow. my first year. So I was like taking improvisation class from Whoa. her. Alvin Curran, I took orchestration with Alvin. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and I, I just felt like, wow, this is really exactly what I what I need. Mm-hmm. And and more more not only the the teachers, but like the students. You know, to have like a community where you're just trying out stuff and you're you're yeah. working on your own compositions. The people that you get the feeling. The only like music school I've ever even been in or around was like when I did work at the new school, mm-hmm. and you know not to like speak ill of anyone or anything, but like it's I got the impression pretty quickly. I'm like, oh, there's like 200 kids here, and like three or four of them are going to continue as musicians. Mm-hmm. Not, and that, that's not even saying anything of their musicianship. Just yeah. like I, I don't sense a lot of commitment yeah. from a lot of these people. But yeah. I, would, did you feel that was was that at Mills or? So that exactly kind of the opposite. Right. I mean, I'm in touch with a lot of people that I went to school with. And yeah, I mean, people have started families or gotten like full-time jobs or not. But Uh everyone, I mean, many people are really in some way involved with music. Yeah. And to a large degree. And I think that's like one of the really amazing things is that all those people, it's like something they're really committed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I was Roscoe there when you were there. No, he he got there sort of like right as I was leaving. I uh-huh. think. Yeah. So by this period of time, you knew you're going to be doing music seriously. Yeah. Your parents said we have nothing to say, or yeah, it was really hard. They didn't like that. Yeah, but they never said it. Sure, sure, but but it was sort of like you know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was really hard for many years, like feeling kind of like a failure you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but that's changed i mean they i I think they just see like i'm really happy (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i mean and you oh there's a visitor oops hi there (laughs) can can she sit on my lap yeah of course she nothing would make her happier (laughs) so tiny oh my goodness what's up say hi pearl she does talk pearl say something hey no she she does talk sometimes. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, oh, she's so sweet. But so, by the time you finished Mills, you said for, like San Francisco, Bay Area. This is where I'm going to stay. Yeah, I mean, things just kind of worked out, and then I met my current spouse. <laughs> oh, so you're married? Yeah. <laughs> when did you get married? Just uh, last May. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Was yeah. that? But that's that's been legal in California for a while, right? No, I mean, just a couple years. Like 2012 exactly. or something. Yeah, I think so. Something like Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was legal and then it wasn't legal. I right. I remember if right. Gavin Newsom had to like say, sorry, guys. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but so, and and do you make music with your partner? Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. And what's that like? Um, it's great, but it's also, you know, it's challenging. Um, my partner is Ellen Fullman, uh-huh. who, you know, has this amazing, amazing instrument that she created, the long string instrument. And we do, we do perform together. And we've, um, in the last, like, three years, we're, we've been working on a piece together that we've composed. And we just finished recording it. In the last three months, we do, took. Do you have like a home studio kind of thing? Or? Well, her instrument's so big that basically, yeah, and it's it's installed in the studio at yeah. home, and then um, through the years, she's like just learned all this, you know, recording technique because it's hard to go to a studio with that thing. Yeah, yeah. Is it? I mean, my my wife like it's difficult when we have to like clean the pantry together. <laughs> you know. Like is it is it is it a pretty seamless uh, partnership when making music or? Well, we do a lot of things together. Like we're just super. Uh, I guess I don't know if compatible is the right word. That sounds like so clinical or something. But no, like we really enjoy. Like we spend a lot of time together and yeah. and really can do a lot in without any kind of, um, you know, tension. I think the challenging thing about collaborating with your partner is really that you know when you have like a collaborator outside you have certain boundaries you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. if you've had a really tiring day Mm -hmm. you're just gonna show up to rehearsal and like drink another cup of coffee and be okay here i am but like when it's your partner you know like what they went through that day or they know what you went through and they Hmm. might be like hey you know what can we just do it tomorrow you know and then like stuff like that just kind of like it's not as strict in a mm-hmm. way. Um, Wait, w- what came first, romance or musical collaboration? Well, we, I don't know, we like got together and played once, uh-huh. you know, just like to have a session together. Yeah. And it was really fun. And then kind of started dating. So I don't know, it, it was kind of both. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's such a trip to me, people that... I just, I, I, for me, music has always been my thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I, I think it would be really hard for me mm-hmm. to be in a creative relationship with someone I'm also in a romantic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can see that point of view. And sort of like, for me, it's almost the opposite. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that it would be really cool, like to be with an architect or, right. you know. But at the same time, like, it's just so. It's kind of fun. We joke about pillow talk. You know, it's like, which microphone, like, you know. Yeah. You know, did you use on that session? And, like, do you think this, like, setting is better than that setting? You yeah. Know? And and I think that is, like, so much fun because, like, we can go so deeply into this world together, uh-huh. you know, or go out to a show and just, like, really totally enjoy it or yeah. talk about and, and, you know, like, understand, like, the other person's point of view and what they're uh-huh you know perceiving and not have to always put things into context when you're explaining something yeah that must be nice yeah so i don't know for me it's like there's the other side of the benefits you know i i can understand your point of view too yeah yeah, yeah. no i just i mean i wish that like i kind of it was just never you know i i never dated a musician Mm -hmm. i never Mm -hmm. anything like that it was always you know really kind of nerve-wracking for me Mm -hmm. huh did um and are you able to tour a lot living in San Francisco? You know, it's a lot harder. I have to say, you're so far away. It's it's so far away. Nobody wants to pay your ticket, especially in Europe. Right. Um, I tour like I go to Europe maybe once a year, mm-hmm. New York once a year, and then maybe a couple other 
I don't know, Mexico or somewhere in the States or mm-hmm. something. So, and, and I'm not like a heavy duty tour. I just don't like that. Mm-hmm. I'm like a slow person, slow tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it definitely, you know, it feels like it hinders your opportunities in that way, being so far. And, you know, I've thought like, oh, what if I did move out here? Would it would it help that? And I would have more chances to play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what's it like in San Francisco right now for 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 improvising musicians because i see a lot of people from san francisco coming here mm-hmm. and by saying i mean i mean the bay area yeah I yeah mean san francisco yeah um and what's it what's it like right now to be a creative person in the bay well it's definitely hard you know the the financial part of it as far as like we were talking earlier just the tech um boom yeah and how that's just driven prices you know out of the sky um it's sort of similar, like the gigs are kind of the same, you know, they've, I feel like they've been the same, like for the last 10 years where you do a door gig and that's, that's it, you know, yeah. basically door gigs. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple places that, um, are a little bit better funded, but it's just also like fewer, you know, there's fewer opportunities like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know, but there's really good music there's mm-hmm. always and you know every night you can go out every night i don't know if you can hear improvised music every night but pretty much yeah you know or definitely like something creative and and interesting and do you feel this is more of a question about like being a married person and sort of you know no longer being in your 20s and 30s like do you feel still like engaged with the stuff that's happening and people coming through or like i've been feeling kind of cut off I've in, been the, feeling, in your you know like your scene you mean yeah like you know i i realize that i go out less and less and that's you oh, know yeah. partly because i'm you know yeah like mellowed out a little bit yeah but um yeah definitely um I, you know kind of comes in waves like there's sometimes when i really hardly ever go out and I'm, i don't not really in touch with people around me in the bay area mm-hmm and then times when I'm more so. And I would feel like I, I feel more in touch now. Um, I've been collaborating more with ensembles there and, mm-hmm. and composing for them, which has been really satisfying and, and yeah, fun. Yeah, especially for someone who likes to work at home and yeah, go at yeah, a slower pace. Yeah. Um, but then also meeting new people, like constantly, also through the mills, you know, community, like the current students, you know. And that's been really, like, rewarding and, and just getting to know people and... and you know, relating to like that time of life Mm -hmm. that in a way, sometimes it doesn't feel that different. You know what I mean? Um, So yeah, I would say it kind of comes in waves. Yeah. Yeah. But I know what you mean. Like I, it's hard to go out now. I, you know, I, I'm working a lot. I just work a lot. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Totally. Um, Yeah. So. And are you still recording? I mean, what's, what's, are you making records? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm I've officially gone nuts. I'm gonna start a label. Are you really? Yeah. Are you gonna put out physical products? Yeah, I On, think so. Uh, CDs or LPs? I think both. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is so, that yeah. just because you have so much shit piled up, or? Well, it kind of started that way. Of like, I had this. I'll give you this copy of um, an album, Venice is a Fish, that was released online mm-hmm. a while ago, and it was just kind of weird not having a physical. Copy. yeah it feels a little oh, unceremonious and, or yeah having yeah. shows and stuff so like a couple of years ago i just like produced it myself and made physical copies and then i thought well this is cool you know i know a lot of artists do that for their own music and then i thought well it'd be fun to do it for other people too you know 
plenty yeah. of friends who are all, always looking for labels, even though we're all, you know, released on various labels. Um, so yeah, it's it's like something I'm officially yeah. gearing up to get ready to do. That's what everyone's doing. Yeah. Everyone. That's What's like, your take on that? I mean, I've been releasing my own record since 2012. Yeah. It's. I mean, there's not. It's you know if you if your if your plan is to submit something to a label in the hopes that they're going to release it for you. Number one, the real benefit of that, in my opinion, is gone, which is they don't give advances anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, most you know most mm-hmm. especially for like improvised music or mm-hmm. like contemporary music. Mm-hmm. Two, um, they're just so inundated with submissions that even if they want to put your thing out, it might be a year or two. Yeah, you know. Uh, three, a lot of the labels that, in my, and this is my opinion, that that do put out, you know, experimental music. That that that, I don't really like their aesthetic. You know, either in terms of mm-hmm. like the other stuff they're putting out, or yeah. the packaging, or the yeah. way they present it. Yeah. So <clears throat> you do it yourself. You know, you assume all the financial mm-hmm. responsibility yourself, and you know, you can make some version of what you want it to actually look and sound like. Yeah. You know, within, you know, like I put out one record that was like really important to me. I knew I wasn't going to sell many of them, but it was like really important to me. So I spent, like I pulled out all the stops on yeah. like the packaging. Yeah. Um, and I, I would hate to have had to have convinced, try to convince someone at a label to have done right. that. Right. You know? Right. It's like artistic freedom and ownership. And I, I don't like asking for shit, you know? Yeah. I don't like asking, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't like, you know, people having any sort of power over you know mm-hmm. something i want to do yeah you know yeah i mean but it's, it's just like also it's like if you want to put it out you have to I, I just don't know that there's anyone in the entire world who's just waiting for a great record of improvised music to come in the mail so they can put it out i know <laughs> <laughs> i wish it was different i wish i could put out other people's records yeah are you gonna put out other people's or just your yeah, own yeah yeah no yeah. i have um i have a lineup of um the first few releases are going to be this. Well, it's like an improvised um, session with John McCowan mm-hmm. and um, three Chinese musicians that we recorded with this summer, one of whom is going to play with me on Saturday. Um, and then an album of Ellen Fullman and David Gamper, mm-hmm. who passed away a couple years ago. It's a gorgeous album. And then um, an album of piano electronic works by Chris Brown. Oh, wow. And then um, an, a collection of songs by Annie Lewandowski. Oh, wow. so this is really happening. Yeah. Is there like a release date for the first record? Um, I'm shooting. It's like, you know, it kind of keeps moving. I'm shooting for like the fall. Yeah. Yeah. When I get home from this trip, it's like that's what Focus I'm going to Focus on be. getting it yeah. together. Yeah. Is, is there a name for the label? Okay. This is kind of a sore spot because I wanted to call it Euphorbia for the longest time. Euphoria? Euphorbia. Euphorbia. Okay. Which is a kind of plant. Okay. And it has a special meaning to me. So I was like, oh, this is great. And just euphorbias, I like a lot different. There's a lot of different variations in that um, family. But, like, if you Google euphorbia or euphorbia records, if you go to euphorbia.com, it's Philip Glass's website. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and there, that was like an operation he had way back when that's no longer functioning but there's like a few records released you can't do that. Yeah. and i contacted his people and they were like no no but also it's just, it's like, just weird to yeah. get confused yeah, yeah. so now i'm like so you're looking for a name damn it, yeah because everything has been called you know my mother records my dog records you know, you know what i do when i'm looking for titles for anything i just pick out books that i like and i just start yeah. randomly flipping through pages until i see like a phrase that i like yeah if yeah. i had to think of a name for a label today i'd probably do that yeah 
That's a good idea. I don't know. It's like a, yeah, it's a really hard thing. So it's hard, yeah. You want it to be kind of poetic, but you also don't want it to be like pretentious. Right. I don't know. And, you know, most things are taken. Like my whole long list, you just Google it, there's a record label. <laughs> really? Yeah. What other, wait, what other names do you have? It wasn't like 4AD or like Sub Pop or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else did I have? God, I can't remember. The only thing that wasn't taken was like Folk Soul. Is that a, like Folk and Soul? See, that's a cool, right? Because it could be, but right. it's not. It's actually short for Forecastle. And it's sailors' terminology for the quarters where the oh crew, you should do something sailor where related. the crew yeah. sleeps right right so that's kind of cool it's like where the crew sleeps you know yeah it's like it's like the crew I'm releasing like crew music. you should do something nautical so folk soul could be it but it's a really funny word it's f o apostrophe c apostrophe s l e yeah so if I'm like hey go check out folk soul music people are gonna be like they're not gonna know what you're saying so like fox fox soul fox yeah. <laughs> So I I don't know. It's maybe bad branding, but maybe bad is good, you know? There's certainly a lot of bad out there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate you coming over and talking. Thank you so much. Yeah, have a good gig tonight. Yeah, thanks. All right, that was Teresa Wong. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. I did. She's cool. I like her a lot, and I hope to see her again in the future. Go to TeresaWong.org. Check her out. She's active, she stays active, and uh, she's worth your time and attention. TeresaWong.org That's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. I'll talk to you next week. All right, bye.